0: Cooper, I'm just gonna come out and say it. Say it, man. Congratulations. Congratulations to you too, my friend. You did it. We did it. We did it. Together. They did it. I want to tell kind of a tender story. Ooh, you want to hear it? I'm I'm ready for it. We might have told this part of the story on the podcast before, but it was my my second day of classes here at Dallas Baptist University. I was on my Tuesday schedule, mm. and I'm in my room getting ready did for the club his, go up. The club went up on the Tuesday. The class sitting, did at least. The class did, yeah, yeah. I was sitting in that uh in my dorm room getting prepared for my class. It was history 1301 with Dr. Williams. Dr. Williams. One of the greatest. Published author. Published a couple times. A couple times. And Sometimes he would stand on a desk with no shoes on. He would he, wear socks so awesome. as he pre and he teached. He's an incredible professor. He's amazing. DBU you give him a raise anyway. So I hear someone at the end of my hall yell, Hey, is anyone going to history? 1301 with Dr. Williams. And I like, uh, yeah, I am. So I like peek my head out. Like, yeah, I am. And he's like, this guy's like, you want to walk with me? I was like, sure. And so we start walking together. Lo and behold, it's Cooper McCullough. <laughs> That's me folks. <laughs> so we like start building this friendship. It was an awkward walk. Yeah, I mean, it was probably 10 minutes. Yeah, and we just, what do, What do you talk about? Yeah, it's like you want to keep it small talk, but yeah. you can't talk about small talk for 10 minutes. So yeah. we so, powered through. We powered through. We sat front row together. We did. Only ones on the front row. Yeah. Yeah, mom, we're, you heard that. right. We're smart people. We did it right. We want to have good brains. We took the advice of those who went before us. Yes. And so we sat in the front row. <laughs> and so that was the start of something incredible, because it was. not only did our friendship blossom, we're like great. Fr- like, I mean, <sighs> I love you, man. I love you, man. But every semester we throughout class, college, four years. What would that be? Eight semesters. That's some quick math from Zach Funderburg. You're welcome. We had a class together every Every semester semester semester. of college. Yeah. But there's more. Don't say but. Our last class senior year was with the same professor as our first class. That's professor in Spanish for all you people. And he didn't take Spanish. in college. I didn't. So we started together with Dr. Williams and we finished together with Dr. Williams. Tell me that's not the most tender story you've ever heard. I mean. You're I'm crying. shedding. A you tear. can't see it. He's crying. I'm shedding a tear currently. He's crying. I, wow. I mean, dude, I, we we're graduated. Done. We're done. We. I can't believe it. We did it. It's just college is such an incredible experience. If you make it, if you make the most of it, yeah, it's incredible. And that's something else we could even talk about too. Is we were talking the other day of getting to look back on our college years and say, man. We did not waste college. We didn't. We, we were walking around campus together and we were looking, we were just talking about different locations and fun memories yeah. we had. And we were like, man, it's so awesome to say, to not have to say, oh, man, I, who remembers what we did there? Oh, right. we got drunk there. Like, we that was not a part of our college right. story. Praise the Lord. Yeah. And, and we are so much us. better for it. It's not about us. Not at all. Not at all by our own strength. Dude, that's so good. Dive into college, people. If yes. you're not going to college, go to college. Find a church, plug in with a local yep. community, yep. find yourself some solid believers and we're not being paid to say this, but Dallas Baptist university is the perfect college for that. I mean, yeah, we're not getting paid to say this and we shouldn't And we actually paid them to go here. Yeah. But the thing is like, we don't have to be paid because we love DBU. we love DBU and the leadership there. Oh my gosh. Like it does not get any better than Dallas Baptist university. It doesn't. Please check it out if you're thinking about looking. Check it out. But the reason we say this is because we we graduated, Zach. We did it. College is now behind us. Monica, get the confetti poppers. (sighs) She's working. (sighs) Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, the graduated Zach Funderburk, with my co-host, the other graduated... Cooper McCullough. That is me, folks. I'm just doing my walk across the stage right now. Because yeah, we didn't. We didn't actually get to walk the stage. We didn't. There was a parade, though, and it, it was, was probably the best graduation parade to ever happen. <laughs> because it was the only one, but well, it was the best. It was amazing. Ever Thank you, DBU, for making it happen. Yeah, that was a moment we'll never forget. Anyway, we got to get to the episode. Yes. Today, we've got a good one, Coop. I know we do. Really? Yeah. His name's Mark Metry. Now, Mark is a published author. He has one of the like top 100 podcasts in the country called Humans 2.0, but he also has an amazing story that he wants to share. And and it, this conversation turned out to be much more than I ever thought it was going to be because he struggled a lot with anxiety, depression, social anxiety growing up. So I wanted to talk to him about that because a few weeks ago we put on our Instagram, go follow us, NXT Gin Leadered Podcast. And we put out there what topic should we cover on the podcast? And someone said leading with social anxiety. And so I I was like, man, who could we get for that? And I ran into Mark on LinkedIn and I was like, that's perfect. Come be on the podcast. And he said, yes, of course. But it turned out to be much more than I thought it was going to be. Right now we're living in a crazy time. We talked about it last time on the podcast. And, and Mark also has the experience of racism, but from a different perspective. His family moved in from Egypt and, and he, he had the experience of experiencing racism post 9-11 and what it was like to be Middle Eastern and being in the United States post 11 terror post the traumatic experience of 9/11 so we get an incredible insight into that along with social anxiety anxiety he wrote a book called screw being shy and his podcast is called humans 2.0 go check them both out amazing resources on these topics and how to live outside of your comfort zone because we got to get out there we got to push you got to be the one in the room that's making connections that's talking to people that's what next generation leaders do to propel themselves forward once they get into the real world so make connections go talk to people screw being shy here he is mark metry well mark thank you so much for being on it's good to be with you and it's nice to meet you and now we are mutual followers on instagram so i mean i I feel like that's a big deal uh but mark i'm excited to talk to you kind of introduce yourself who are you what are you doing where do you come from just just tell your story
1: yeah man thanks for having me on um you know honestly for me i'm a twenty two year old guy living on the east coast who um, has had a you know set of experiences, just like everyone else has had a set of experiences based on the problems that they've been through and I've just tried to be proactive about it. I've tried to get in front of it I've tried to really shine it um, you know I feel like for me personally, with everything that I do, a big part of it is about. Um, a big part of it is about just trying to provide information, mm-hmm. trying to spread awareness to like, you know, the younger version of myself that was growing up and didn't know certain things. Right. Uh, and so for me, you know, I try my best to talk about like the experience of life itself. You know, some people talk about, you know, books or talk about whatever. To me, I'm just interested in like, the very experience of life itself, like when I'm sitting here in this room in my house, and I'm just sitting in front of my laptop talking to you, Zach, some guy from uh, Texas yeah. that we both have podcasts, we're both talking to each other, and then I ask, I'm trying to ask myself, like, how do I feel right now about what's going on? Like, am I am I proud of myself, or am I not proud of myself for doing what I'm doing today? How can I make that better? And so for me, I feel like. Because I grew up and I faced a lot of things like social anxiety, uh, anxiety, depression, obesity, health problems, a wide variety of things. I feel like I'm just now trying to get proactive about it. Because the reality is, is what I learned is, you know, a lot of people that are our age, they're 22, you know, a lot of those people that are out there like wasting their life to a degree, they're lucky because, it just hasn't hit them yet. Right. And what I mean is like everyone is just moving throughout their life. And a lot of times we don't stop what we're doing. We don't stop to ask questions until like it, something breaks down. Right. And so for me, I'm I'm lucky I had that early on in my life. You know, I'm really lucky I experienced a lot of different problems. You know, I remember one time I was like like I said, obese. I was suicidal. I was socially isolated myself. Uh I always had social anxiety growing up, but um, You know, I faced some real times where like going back to life itself, like how you experience it, not necessarily how much money you have or how many followers you have or uh, what, what property you own, but just in terms of living it, that can be very different because I remember for me, like part of what it is that I talk about is that when I was younger, I... You know, my my parents immigrated from this country, from Egypt to America. They came here with like 200 bucks with, like lived very much like the immigrant low lifestyle. So I never really had any money. But as I was getting older, I, uh, I made a decent amount of money. I started making six figures when I was like 15, 16. And, you know, really that showed me that you could have a lot of money, you could have a lot of like social respect, But at the end of the day, if you don't deal with the problems that you can't buy yourself out of, Mm. you can't like download this thing. You can't like read this one book to get out of that. That's what it comes back to, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, I've had people on my podcast from like billionaires to the co-founder of Netflix, you know, people say like, you know, I I had hundreds of millions of dollars in my bank account, but yet I was suicidal and I was going to like kill myself. And so for me, based on like a lot of the issues that I've just talked about and I've been through in my life and what I've seen a lot of leaders today talk about their different various like mental health struggles, that's what I try to focus on because to me, that's kind of what I see as the root Mm. of like a lot of problems in our society. Whether you have money, whether you don't, uh, it comes back to like, how is is your brain operating? because that's really what creates your reality. It's obviously not, it's not just your brain, but, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of me, man. I just kind of really like talking about these things. So I have a, I have a podcast. I'm an author. Uh, I'm on Amazon prime documentary series. Uh, I sit on the board of a nonprofit. Uh, I run a nonprofit. I do a lot of different things, but ultimately
0: everything I do comes from that perspective. Right. And just wanting to help people too. I love what you said in there about money and The grass is always greener, and and people are always chasing that the ever moving goalpost, especially of money. And and once you get there, there's always something else you want. There's more money you want. And I think that's a huge testament to that because you can't. I love what you said. You can't buy your way out of mental health issues. You can't buy your way out of stress. You can't buy your way out of these things. So you have to deal with them. And and I think that's something that you did very well at at an early age. And then now getting to to share that story with people. So kind of tell your your story of anxiety depression and and kind of what social anxiety is what what did that look like for you and and kind of what age did that hit
1: yeah and the reality is man is that you know when i talk about these things like i'm i'm nobody special a lot of people go through these issues but the reality is that people just don't talk about them you know because you know if you start talking about some of these deeper ideas aside from society's shallow layer of conversation then people start to think of you differently. Then people start to make fun of you. People start to clown you because you talk about this issue that you have. Um, And so, you know, I feel like that is very much a toxic cycle that a lot of people are uh, are in. But for me, I've been able to kind of get out of it because I literally lived every single day of my life in like, the most extreme social anxiety where I was constantly just like questioning myself. I had no confidence. I could never talk to anyone in general, mm-hmm. except for like someone who I had known for like a while. Uh, and even then I would only show them, you know, like sides to my to myself that I wanted, which I think a lot of us have that problem. Um, but I kind of went through almost what I I think of it as like a simulation for like 10 years of my life. I like every room I walked into, every environment, every time I stepped into people, uh, my brain would just always tell me like, dude, you suck. Like people don't like you. Um, like you shouldn't talk. And then every time you would try to talk, your, your body would go into this uh, emergency fight or flight response and your throat would get tight. You would start, um, you know, your heartbeat would start going fast. Your mind would go blank. And so I kind of went through that every day. And that really, that's not myself. You know, that's that's not me living yeah. my authentic self. And so I kind of went through this simulation where I wasn't myself for like 10 years. And, you know, for me, like I didn't really, I never really did any drugs or alcohol or party or anything like that, obviously. Um, one, because my parents told me I had not to, then I had social anxiety. right? Um, and so for me, like the way that I tried to escape it was just through the internet and I remember going on technology, played a lot of video games. Uh, I I did some productive things and also like played a crap ton of video games. Like I'm pretty sure I spent more hours playing video games than I did like working on myself. Just like it, in in regular life. Like working on like building some video game character than building my own character. Right. Um and so yeah, I mean I, I kind of went through that and I feel like I felt the real uh, consequences of that. And for whatever reason, whether it's because I'm more sensitive or my genetics or whatever it is, I just began to see the issue with a lot of these problems that I had very early on in my life. And by the time I was about like 18 years old, I kind of like fell down into what I think was kind of like my rock bottom of where I I like became depressed like the first time seriously in my life my lifelong social anxiety that I had since forever trying to move into like social isolation. And I was in college at the time I was living with like roommates, but I just never talked to anybody. Right. Uh, and then I beca- got obese. I gained a ton of weight. All of a sudden I just became obese. It was crazy over a period of a couple months. Then I got into like alcohol, drugs, partying. And then, you know, I kind of like got lost for like a couple months. And in that period, I kind of feel like I hit my, my rock bottom where really I began to realize that like, I began to under understand like the deeper element of, of life, like everything I've been talking about and why things have been happening the way they have for like the last 18 years of my life. Right. And I basically realized that if I didn't like do something about it, then I would literally just be like a statistic. Um, cause at that time I remember being suicidal and, um, Yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think back on now. But, uh, you know, ever since that moment, it's not like I I was able to change overnight. But ever since that moment, I just started to look at life differently. That was like in 2015. Um, And then yeah, ever since then, I just slowly
0: started to take various steps uh, to go about it. But yeah. That's cool. I think there's kind of two ways I want to go with that. Two things you talked about. One were the escapes for you as video games, and then it kind of progressed to the alcohol, drugs, partying, and then you're away. There's escape side, and then there's the isolation and, and the not talking about it. You said you lived with roommates, but you never talked about it. And so... You just were able. You were able to bottle it up until it exploded. I'm I'm assuming at some point. So go first for escapes. For you, it was video games. For other people, it might be. I mean, it's alcohol. It's drugs. It could be pornography. Whatever it is, you oh, yeah. escape from reality, and it go, It takes your mind away from the things that are that hurt you, the things that stress you out, the things that take up so much space in your mind. Uh, how do we fight that? How do How do we not run to escapes and and we just be authentic, yeah. be real. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think pornography is a big
1: one, but, um, you know, for me, the way that I feel about it is it's all about like your pain management and like, so what a lot of people don't understand is that pain is essentially like nature's vehicle for pushing advancement, for pushing progress forward. Meaning like, you know, I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of like, uh, people in like the self-help space and like, like confidence industry, I I feel like a lot of people talk about like, Oh, you should, you should just be like happy all the time. And the reality is, is like, if you were happy all the time, then you wouldn't do anything. And that's just not the way that life works. Like you need some sort of discomfort, pain, agitation to move you forward. And that's, that's what happens throughout your entire life. Like, like we talked about before, like when we talk about the experience of life itself, you can't, buy that you know maybe you could buy it by you know getting drunk but then you buy it for like 45 minutes or or however long that you feel great or for a lot of people and for me personally it was food i think food was probably the biggest one for me where every time i would get pissed off stressed anxious tired whatever I would just eat you know because that, it was so right. it was societally acceptable, you know right. like I, again i never I was taught to never do drugs or alcohol, and so I never really got into those, but for me, food was just like a, you could do whatever right, and so we all have like this underlying engine of pain, and it 's going to happen no matter what we do that 's the reality of it and what happens is we all have this by default, and a lot of the times when we get into this space of unhealthy vices. Like for example, alcohol, drugs, pornography, um, You know, excessive video game use. You know, I don't think video games are inherently bad, but I think too much right. of it is bad. And Netflix, same way. Like Netflix is not bad, but excessively, and you try to escape, then yeah. You start to look at all these different unhealthy vices. And honestly, what I would begin to do is like, when you look at people's behavior they use these vices to try to remove that pain right to like try to numb themselves out to try to get into some kind of low level pleasure sensation so that they can just like go by and um you know the reality is that's not the greatest thing to do because one a lot of these vices, if you do them in excess, they're unhealthy. And so so they'll start to affect you in other ways. But then two, if we know that pain is this central engine that you can't really escape, it's a fact of human existence that people have been going through for thousands of years, and you're trying to go about it that way, then what happens is like pain is going to move you forward. But if you're constantly trying to numb it out, then you're never actually going to truly experience what it feels like to truly be in pain. Yeah. And that's different from say like suffering where someone will suffer about a problem for like 10 years and they'll never do anything about it because they'll just be stuck in their head. But to really be able to feel the pain and then be like, all right, screw it. I, I actually have to go do this. Like say like going back to my story, Yeah. until I was obese, until I my health, both physical and mental, were not that great until I eventually was suicidal, then I was able to finally be like, no, I can't do this anymore. And so then you flip the switch and you start to go on the offense. And so when you are escaping in these constant vices, you experience those two problems of like the, the other cumulative negative effects of the vices themselves. And then you also don't actually get to experience the truth of the path that you should be on because you haven't actually been using your pain. Yeah. And so the best practical, straightforward way that I would go through it is um, obviously there are deeper elements to this. There are ways as to why you're having that pain in the first place. And so for that, I would say go read my book, Screw Being Shy, because I was was that's say, like a super long answer. To your, the
0: title of your book. But,
1: yeah, but, but what I'd say when it comes to practically looking at it, I would just say is like start, try to like take your unhealthy coping mechanisms and try to start to switch them out. For healthy coping mechanisms. You know, like for example, instead of, um, you know, buying a ton of junk food and eating a ton of unhealthy food that is going to affect your health in many different ways, maybe you actually realize that you're eating because you're bored. And you actually like eating maybe because it puts you around people like you eat with your family or you eat with your friends and you like that social connectivity. Right. So then maybe you swap that out with like, you know, I don't know, you start to learn how to cook and you like cook with a friend or something. Or like, for example, you, you know, like your habit is to, um, you know, read or no, it's to uh, to binge watch like Netflix yeah. So then what you do instead is like, you're like, okay, you know what? I really want to binge watch. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to binge watch like podcasts or I'm going to binge watch like educational content yeah, something that, will that I know is going to help me grow. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So like you literally just start to switch these things out and it's not going to take, it's not going to take, it's not going to be that easy. Like for example, one of the things that I talk about in my book, uh, and I talk about all the time is, um, is I, you know, I make the case in my book, and I basically talk about how sugar is one of the worst things that you could do for your mental health. Just forget physical health, forget diabetes. Yeah. Just in terms of your brain's health, sugar is not the, the best thing. And so what I talk about in my book is like, I tried to quit sugar before, it didn't work. I just kept on seeing myself enter into these cycles where I would just keep on eating it. Yeah. But then what I would do is like, I was obsessed with ice cream. I would eat ice cream like all the time. So, what I would do is, I would just go to the store and buy frozen fruit. Then, I would buy coconut milk. And then, I would just try to make like my own version of ice cream by just using like natural things that, yes, yeah, still yeah. have sugar in them, but they're a lot healthier than ice cream. Right. And so, eventually, I began to do that. And then, I would just lower the quantity. And then, I got to a spot where I didn't really want it at all. And then, I got no pleasure from eating that ice cream. But rather, I experienced a deeper sense of fulfillment and happiness that's deeper than a shallow sense of pleasure by trying to, like, make something myself and trying to, like, explore and, and like, share with other people and stuff. And so, practically, that's what I would say to look at it.
0: Yeah, Yeah, and that pleasure that you're you're seeking after through video games, through any of these uh, escapes or these islands that you can go to, they're temporary, just Mm -hmm. like you said, and they don't last. Uh, And I kind of want to move into the other side of what you're talking about—is not talking about it. You lived with roommates, you lived with guys, you lived with people, but you never were able to talk about it because the self-isolation or the self-shaming even that they're going to look at me differently. If I tell them my, my weaknesses, I'm not going to lead out of my weaknesses because they're going to look at me differently. I mean, what would you tell Obviously that's, that's wrong. It's not healthy, but what would you tell to people who are either one living in that or they're approaching that soon because of what they're living in?
1: Yeah, of course, man. And, um, you know, some of those people that I lived are, you know, like my best friends now, and it's just so crazy to think back, but, you know, honestly, what I would say is like, you know, when you look at social anxiety, you know, everyone has social anxiety to some, some degree, uh, at least if you're like smart and you're able to, to pick up on a lot of other, other people's cues. But you know, what I would say to someone is like, you need to understand the way that opinions and judgment and criticisms work, right. And that can be really hard to like logically understand, but the the perspective that I try to take in the book is um so I think for me, when I actually began to like do do the research, look at the data, look at the studies, look at what smarter people than me, like scientists and, um, and like scholars are saying. And you begin to like, again, go back to the idea of like the experience of life. Like when you're, when someone's listening to this or watching to this, how are they actually feeling when they are, um, you know, their experience themselves. And when you experience uh, social anxiety, that greatly affects your experience. And the case that I make for my book is that when you really look at what that experience is, that is about the combination of basically, you know, your brain secreting different brain chemicals, uh, neurotransmitters that are firing, interacting with the environment, your senses picking up on the information, sending it to your brain, the various biological feedback loops that you have in your body, interacting with your mind, and the people you interact with. And so when you look at it from that perspective, uh, you start to look at those brain chemicals, you start to look at those neurotransmitters, and then you start to look at the brain itself. And you begin to realize that, you know, social anxiety is not something that is new. Social anxiety is one of the most ancient fears that we have had ever since humans have existed. And our brain has picked up on these cues, has picked up on these patterns for thousands of years. And one of the ways that the brain is able to um, really create this reality is it uses this system called cognitive biases and distortions. And essentially, what this is is you know if you Google, for example, like uh, cognitive bias codex. Mm -hmm. you will see a massive chart, a massive list of all the different ways in which your brain essentially takes like these back doors, like these shortcuts. And what I mean is like the same way that like, if you're on your computer and you want to copy and paste something from a website into a document, you know, you could go to that website, you could highlight it, you could right click on your mouse and hit copy, go to the document, Right, click, hit paste, or you could just highlight it and hit control C and then go to the document and hit and hit Control V. Right. Your brain does that in, in the same way of how it deals with the experience of life itself. So as an example, you know, there's the most common one that most people well known is the negativity bias where essentially your brain has learned through thousands of years of your parents, your parents before them, your parents before them, all the generations before you that negative information is more valuable from a survival context, from the perspective of, you know, if 10 people walk up to you today. Um, and they, uh, you know, 10 people walk up to you today, Zach, and nine people say you're awesome. But one person says, dude, you suck right, or like your podcast sucks or like whatever you read on social media, you're probably gonna, your brain is gonna focus and obsess over that one negative comment. And that's because your brain has just been inherently been given that you didn't really necessarily create the pattern to value that negative information and focus on it rather than focus on the nine other pieces that is way more, that objectively speaking, your experience of life is judged better because those nine people said you're awesome. One person said no. You have a negative experience now, and right. so that's that's a common one. But there are essentially, I think, scientists have identified anywhere from 68 to 300 of these various cognitive biases and distortions that are interacting along with various brain chemicals um, and neurotransmitters like serotonin, oxytocin, dopamine that right. essentially create this experience that we all have. And so when you look at that and then you also look at, for example, the average person has 60,000 thoughts a day, you really begin to, to really like see the picture of like, this is what a human being actually is. And depending on how these brain chemicals are influenced, whether they, for example, you know, eat a lot of sugar, artificial chemicals, that spike their blood glucose level and then they have uh a, they feel a lack of energy they may get irritated they may have a headache then you begin to see all these different um you know issues that people may have with their cognitive thinking and you really begin to see how like there are so many different issues and and miscommunication issues like in the world right you know like i bet you for example like just like you know just like take an example for like what's happening today in the world i bet you for example um you know some you know some of those videos that we've been seeing on social media of like police beating the crap out of protesters you know just generalizing i don't want to like assume anything but you know maybe that police who you know had a baton in his hand maybe his brain was telling him that like you know this is like this is like a, a criminal fight you know maybe he was hit maybe you know the part in his brain that reacts to emergencies for fight or flight for trying to protect people maybe that was activated and his brain was was seeing people as enemies maybe, maybe they weren't I, I have no idea i don't know what, what 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 was happening but you then begin to see like how all these issues play out and how all these problems with interacting with each other deal out and you begin to realize that like people are going to go through this people are going to have 60,000 thoughts a day people's brain is going to give them anxious thoughts it's going to maybe give them depressed thoughts and a lot of times when people judge you when you're living your life maybe you know you don't have to take it that personally you know like i personally myself the last several weeks have definitely noticed you know some people more on edge but then I've also noticed a lot more people being extremely kind to me, and I've I've never never once maybe in my life maybe it's because I'm colored been stopped by that many people in the street and then like wave and and say hi to me. Yeah. So there's a lot of people who are who are doing the the nice. But um, you know what I would say is like that's the angle that I try to take for people to understand that like when people tell you their opinions about you you don't have to take it that personally because everyone has this whole cognitive mess that is happening in their brain, whether they may experience, you know, more, bigger issues than other people. Everyone experiences, everyone is afraid. Sometimes everyone is irritated. Everyone has, you know, parts where maybe they have a headache, their brain isn't working as they expect. And that's going to come out in their behavior. Right. And so I try to make that case as like a first, um, And people just trying to understand that like other people's opinions is not something that you should really be that afraid of. And what you should be more focused on yourself is just you you focusing on you looking at your own cognitive system and saying like, what can I do to truly understand these things with true knowledge so that I understand so that when these problems do arise – I begin to just like objectively look at how my brain is reacting to these things rather than trying to take these things as personally uh, to me. And like, for an example for that, like, you know, one of the problems that um, you know, has really affected my mental health, but for me, you know, it was being um, you know, is facing a lot of racism Mm. and facing a lot of abuse when I was a young person when i was like 10 11 years old because yeah. of the environment that i that i was in and because of what i looked like that you know that really you know has basically scarred me to the point where um you know these things can affect a lot of your mental health and so you know you could spend your whole life saying like oh man it's it's, it's these problems and it's, it's these people it's why i'm like this when in reality is like, everyone's just like a human. And like, for example, I get messages on my Facebook, for example, for, from people who grew up with me, who went to school with me, who like apologized to me now. And who say like, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to, to hurt you in this way. And so like, as you get older, you just begin to realize like how the world actually works right. and how like everyone is experiencing problems that you have no idea they're going through. And so you always have to take like, their problems and what they say to you with a grain of salt and just try to reflect that in your own cognitive processes. And if you do it that way, then you don't take it that personally.
0: Yeah, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. That's huge, and and that's a huge part of the social anxiety too. Of walking into a room, and you automatically are assuming that everyone in here has all their problems figured out. Everyone in here is perfect. I'm the only one that's messed up. And when they when I turn the corner and they look at me, all they see are my failures and are are what what doesn't add up about me. And and that's even seen in in the racism case. And I love that you brought that up because it's so pertinent to to what's going on right now in the world is that people um, are being judged by the skin color that they, that they wear and that they wear proudly. And that's so hard to see because it's got to create so much anxiety. And and even if you want to talk about some of that from, from an early age, uh, what that did to your brain moving into adulthood and how that affected you. Yeah, for
1: sure. So like very early in my life I lived in like the inner city and so I there were a lot of different people around me that were many different kinds of colors and races and whatnot. Right. Um but for me when I was like second, third grade, um, my parents we moved into a small town, super small town, almost no racial diversity. And um this is also like post nine eleven and I'm Middle Eastern and so I just got hit super hard with racism. People would give me death threats. I'd get beat up, so many different things. Um, And yeah, I mean, it completely affects you because essentially what happens is like your brain, especially if you are placed in an environment where no one looks like you, Mm. your brain is just automatically like the alien in the room. You're automatically the different person. And like, you could look at that if you have like a really strong mindset, you could look at that as a strength. But if you have all these different forces going on and people are, you're just in a very bad situation with the people around you, that is the, especially at that age, like nine, 10, 11, that is the ideal breeding ground for having social anxiety and for a lot of other mental health problems as someone gets older. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, that, you know when your brain detects that you're in an environment where no one looks like you and you're sort of isolated y- your brain's neurotransmitters literally send out projections as that create this reality where like it's just not welcoming yeah. and like what ha- the issue that happens is that you know especially with fear you know like, there's many acronyms to fear like uh f- Face face everything and rise.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: My my favorite one is uh, false evidence appearing real, mm. and really what that what that hints is like when you begin to live in fear, which I believe is how most mental health problems start. Right. You literally begin to live in this different reality where you begin to face these cognitive distortions and biases to a point where you just start to experience things that. I don't want to say aren't, aren't real or aren't actually there, not like as if like you're hallucinating, but your brain just starts to assume so many things about life before they happen that you really see the negative in everything. And that literally influences like what you see out of your two eyes. And like for example, in my book, I mentioned a study that I forget was done out of which university, but they literally measured this where people who were more depressed they literally saw like life in a much more kind of black and white, like visually speaking, like, like dark and white. They, they weren't able to see like vibrant colors, things right. that could stick out to them. And so um, that's an example of just like how much this can affect someone. And, um and yeah, I mean, I think, I think for the most part um, I think for the most part, you know, I, I've been talking about a lot about like what's been happening in the world because you know for me, someone who focuses a lot on mental health, you can't talk about mental health unless you address the underlying systems that created the problems themselves and so race uh, acceptance, problems with um, the police in low, poor communities and how they're trained, a lot of these things are the ideal breeding grounds for um, just poor mental health. You know, when you look at, for example, um, like just our society and you look at, for example, like, you know, where we put our money, like, for example, uh, Martin Luther King, he has this quote, he says, uh, budgets are moral receipts yeah he says that um you know if you really want to look at where people's heart and like their actions are look at how they're spending their money yeah and when you look at our society like the amount of money that's spent on um like education resources regarding to mental health that's like one percent of what we spend on um like law enforcement police yeah. obviously we need police 100% but when you just begin to There's look a lot at the layers things,
0: to that conversation too
1: yeah for sure but when you but when you look at that conversation um it just means like what are we putting our priorities totally. towards and when you look at that it just makes sense as to why we are seeing a lot of these different um issues too and then when you also look at for example like if you are poor um you know they've done studies that show you know your i q and your cognitive processing is much much lowered than for example, if you know how you're gonna pay your bills next right. month and right. so you see all these different factors. you also see the fact that a lot of people are uh, have a lot of these other health issues like obesity like uh, dementia like um, heart disease like um various autoimmune issues yeah. uh, because people eat a terrible diet that heavily heavily influences your mental health you begin to see to look at all these different issues and like yeah racism is one the community what our society places importance on our environment our diet all these different things and you really begin to see how you know whether it's social anxiety or whether it's a different health mental health issue these things are very common for that reason and the reality is is like until we start having these conversations and then actually addressing them taking action these things aren't going to change and if and if if we don't these things are probably going to get worse especially yeah. when you look at like covid-19 how people have spent so much time indoors how substance abuse has increased suicide and then you combine on you know just so many different kinds of disruptions. You know, I I definitely think what's happening in the world today, I definitely think, um, I definitely think, uh, it's a good thing that, uh, needs to happen, but I think it's going to cause a lot of pain in the short term and a lot of, uh, asking ourselves a lot of the tough questions that we've haven't been asking ourselves or or at least been dealing with for hundreds of years. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting way to to yeah. see how that pans out, but I'm, um, you know, I'm glad that I have the platform that I do. Yeah. I'm glad that I get to speak on a lot of the issues that I speak about because, um, you know, these things need to be addressed in our society because if they don't, the problems are just going to get worse.
0: Yeah. And I think you steward your platform so well and, in being able to bring awareness to people who are dealing with social anxiety, dealing with anxiety, dealing with depression or, or any, just the public in general dealing or being in a room with someone with social anxiety, being in a room who's anxious about their race or their skin color. Cause that's so important for people that honestly that look like me need to know that the problems, the yeah, micro if you will, you got it. Yeah. I don't mean
1: to interrupt you, but, um, the last thing that I just wanted to say is that like, a lot of us ha- like have all these things that you're talking about going on, but yeah. we just don't know it. We're not right. conscious of it, right. and it, that's why it affects our behavior so much. But we don't know it, and so like the first thing that you can do about a problem is you know become aware of it because until then you can't control it. And so um, like a good analogy to think about this is like uh, two two goldfish in a in a bowl of water, mm. and one goldfish says to another. Um, hey, how's the temperature of the water feeling today? And the goldfish says, "Wait, what's water?" And so you know, fish are surrounded by this invisible substance all the time, but yet it controls their behavior. Like if a goldfish tries to go above water, it can't go above water. And so um, our mind does that with everything; it normalizes everything. And so I feel like a big part of this conversation too is like for the like I'm glad that you said it it's like becoming aware of these. And, and honestly, we, everyone has to become aware of these, whether you're, you're white, you're black, like these things affect all of us in yeah. so many different degrees that until we, you know, we don't talk about them, then we're not going to become aware. And if we're not going to be aware, then we're just going to be a slave to our own sort of like cognitive bias that has been running for thousands of years to try to get us to survive. And you know, the last thing that I'll say is like, um, this is an interesting perspective, but you know, a lot of people say that um, like there's that quote that's going around that says like racism is something that is taught. You don't like naturally learn it. I definitely think that's true. I definitely think that like for you to be like, Oh, I I don't, I'm going to treat someone different because of the color of their skin. Right. Um, You know, that is something that, I mean, to me kind of seems weird, uh, but it's, but it's common. But I think a big part of that is like, For the longest times, our brain, when you look at it from a science perspective, and I learned this from Malcolm Gladwell, we lived in like our own countries that didn't have any diversity. You grew up and everyone around you looked the same. And now we live in a very much globalized world, especially in America, where there are so many different kinds of people from somewhere, so many different places. And so, which is awesome. That's amazing. That's awesome. But there are like very real factors that I think we just need to be educated about that I feel like most people um, don't know. And I feel like that's causing a lot of problems between people that are like good hearted and would agree with each other, but just are miscommunicating because of like a lot of these things that we just need to learn.
0: Yeah. And it's going to take generate, like you need to make a change and it starts within yourself. You know, it's like, there's all the talk of the systemic racism and that's true. And it, and it's in, it's in our culture. Like if I'm being, I'm a white guy, I grew up in a white neighborhood and and there are things. you know, it's just in, it's cognitive in the back of my mind you know and it starts in your own heart it starts in the change that you make the way that you talk to, to people the same as you talk to someone who looks differently than you that you talk to someone who looks the same as you and it starts it starts right there but it's taking a cognitive effort of doing that rather than than avoiding it and you have to become aware and i think that this whole movement that's going on right now is being a catalyst for for awareness of this issue and i think it's working and i think it's going to be good and, and i think there's Always some people are going to be on either side of the issue. It's going to become political. But I think this this is a good thing. And you hate to see that people had to die for it. And there are the people that mm-hmm. uh had to make sacrifices for it. And it's so sad. But in the long term, for the society in general that we live in, I think it's going to be a good thing. And I think that we're, and I hope and pray that we're moving towards the direction of of unity and a direction towards um what we want to see because America is a beautiful country when all pieces are working together with everyone of every color, race, religion, whatever you believe, wherever you're from are working together. It's a beautiful country, but when there's division, we can't get anywhere, you know? And so I, I just love having conversations like these, Mark, thanks for, for being honest and, and being open and being able to share those things.
1: Yeah, of course, man. And I, I have great, great hope. And you know, personally the way that I view this is like, you know, we can't, uh, like we, we we're not gonna be able to invent like, you know, the the dopest and most advanced like technology that could like save our civilization right. if we are still arguing on things like what color you are. You know yeah. what I mean? And so I feel like what what is happening, especially with other things that are happening in the world, I think it's it's really all connected. You know, like we experienced this uh, this pandemic, we experienced various um, you know, things going on with the government with this now, with, with racism, systemic racism. And then, you know, I, I, I honestly, you know, wouldn't be surprised to see if like a month, two months down the road, like something else happens, you know? Yeah. And I think a lot of it is just like, we've gotten to this point where because of technology we are now granting at a default level, this level of awareness. Right. But I think that there, there can be a lot of issues with that too. You know, I think that a lot of people can manipulate the media to, make, to manipulate people's views, to make them think that this group is doing something or that group is doing something. And so obviously there are going to be problems with it, but I just feel like everything is happening. It's very much like this natural uh, awakening that I think is just going to come in stages And I think that we are very much far from that being over. And so I think for me personally, what I'm trying to do is I'm just trying to embrace change. You know, I'm trying to get into this mindset of like, if I wake up in the morning and like the world has totally flipped, which it has like twice
0: uh, over (laughs) the last three months, like,
1: yeah, probably it's probably going to happen again. Um, I'm like being, be able to like get in that space. That's what I'm trying to personally focus on because like, 2020 is the year that I think a lot of uh, our illusions in the world and what we thought things were true. I think that's where we're really going to see the light through a lot of different things that um, we've been we've all been facing but haven't been talking about. And so, yeah, I mean, definitely buckle in. It's, I think for sure it's going to be a bumpy ride, but it's going to be a good ride for sure. And, and at the end of the day, I think this is definitely going to this is history, you know? And so for me, I think back, like eventually one day when I have kids, like they ask me, like, what did I
0: do during this period? I want to make sure that I really used every day to the best of my ability. I love that. And just as a final charge to anyone listening, just as Mark just said, one day you're going to look back at this time and be reading the history books with your children of what happened during this time. And they're going to say, mom, dad, what did you do to make a difference during this time? And I think you want to be a person that looks at them and said, this is what I did. And this is why that you get to live in the country you live in now. And you get to live next to people and freely with the people you get, you get to live with. What are you doing now to affect the future? Because, because what you do matters. And, And I think just Just something simple is becoming aware of the microaggressions, the little things you do, the little things you say, what you look at, what you see that make other people anxious or or make yourself anxious and just become aware of the culture and the society you live in. And I think it's huge. And and Mark, just I want to thank you one more time just for for being on, being vulnerable and and helping us learn and grow, because that's the only way that our country can move forward and, and progress and become an even better, even stronger place to live is if we continue to become aware of these issues, grow in unity and then move forward together um, and we can become one. But Mark, thank you so much for your time.
1: Of course, man. That's what makes America the greatest country
0: on earth. That's right. Thank you for having me.